Um, you know, we do a thing where I ask all our guys in the fall to um, get one $25 gift card uh, for the program. And that can be for, we use it for our ax throwing or our golf tournament uh, or whatever it may be. Um, and the only caveat is they have to go in and talk to somebody. They can't purchase it. They have to go talk to somebody and, you know, hopefully they'll, at the end of the day, give them a $25 gift card for whatever it may be, restaurant, exporting goods, you know, uh, pool place, whatever. Um, but, you know, if you go out and you have that conversation with somebody, one, you might get it. Two, you're going to probably create a fan that's going to come out later on and come to a game or, again, have more excitement for our community. So when we hang up scheduled posters in the town, um, you know, you can go back to that guy and say, hey, can I hang this, this poster up for, for our games this year? You know, nine million out of you know, 10 million times are going to say yes. Especially in high school, you have to be able to adapt to what you have and, and play your clientele to their, to their strengths and weaknesses. Hey everybody, welcome back to the High School Coaches Club. I'm your host, Max Price. Here in Salem, Oregon, we're gearing up for the 2023 baseball season. At the time of this episode's release, we are just 23 days away from our first official practice. We've been running the guys through workouts three days a week, on-ramping our throwing arms, hitting absolute seeds in the cages. As a coach, I'm prepping for our parent meeting, for our last fundraiser, making sure we have all of our buckets and baseballs and shirts and jerseys and hats inventoried. It's just a massive undertaking, and it never feels like there's enough time. But if you're like me, the best way to get this kind of work done is to learn a little something while I'm doing it. And today's episode of The Club is an awesome opportunity to do just that. So thanks for pressing play. And a huge thank you to Will Miner and the gang over at Netting Pros. They've powered the High School Coaches Club for years now. And if you need any facility improvements, make them your first call. Not only will they help you design it, but they'll do it all custom for you. From the fabrication to the installation, they've got you covered for netting, digital graphic wall padding, turf, turf protectors, cubbies, windscreen, ball carts, you name it. They crush the baseball and softball world on a daily basis, but they also get after it in football, soccer, lacrosse, track and field, golf, and just about any sport you can imagine. They are truly making facilities better all across America, providing high-quality products and services for facilities, fields, courses, and stadiums throughout the country, not only at the high school level, but for recreational, collegiate, and professional sports as well. You can contact them today by calling 844-620-2707, emailing info at nettingpros.com, visiting their website, nettingpros.com, or by checking them out on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and LinkedIn for all their latest products and projects. Netting Pros. They're improving programs one facility at a time. In this episode, I'm joined by Nolan Nyman. He's the head baseball coach at Manatee High School down in Bradenton, Florida. He also runs Square Up Academy. He recorded this episode while in his office at that academy, and the beautiful sound of baseballs meeting barrels can be heard in the background, which should make all of the baseball and softball coaches out there feel all nice and warm and cuddly inside. A master of fundraising, culture building, practice planning. He's got a lot to offer all of us in the high school coaching world. He coached for a number of years at the collegiate level before making the transition over to the high school coaching community. And man, what a win for those boys down at Manatee. So let's do it. Let's dive in. It's episode 79 with Nolan Nyman. All right, I'm joined by Nolan. How you doing, man? I'm great. How are you? 
I'm doing good. I appreciate you doing this. No, absolutely. Thanks for having me. It's uh, definitely a privilege and uh, looking forward to it. Yeah. I, normally I dive in and, and go back to your high school days, but I want to hold off on that <laughs> for a second because I want to make sure I, I get to this before we get into kind of a natural conversation because we might not get there. But I've seen a lot of um, pretty cool fundraisers that teams have done over the years and just ended up happening upon one that you guys uh, did recently. And it was uh, the first I've ever seen of it. Uh, your baseball program did an axe throwing fundraiser. <laughs> yeah, it, uh, it's the <laughs> second year that we did this. It was uh, it was kind of a funny story. My wife and I went uh, on a date night one night and just happened to stumble upon this axe throwing place. And we got in there and did our thing and was talking to the owner. And he's like, why don't you have a, a fundraiser here? And I was like, that's a great idea. So we uh, we started it last year and uh, we max it out at 40 throwers uh, per session, which is awesome. Uh, we've maxed out the last two years, which has been really cool. Um, you know, and they come in, it's basically, you know, darts on steroids, uh, so to speak. Mm, yeah. Uh, you know, you play, you play baseball, you play cricket, just like you do with darts. You play um, target practice, all that kind of stuff. And uh, at the end of it, there's a nice little uh, round robin winner. So it's a pretty fun event. Yeah, it's a cool idea. Like, you know, I mean, you know, through fundraising, everything, there's some really good ones and some really bad ones and some really fun ones and some really boring ones. But I got to think that axe throwing has got to be one of the best ones, especially if you're thinking of like, if I'm thinking of like a high school, a high school program and what's something fun to do, I, I feel like axe throwing has just jumped to the top of the list of any fundraiser that I could ever think of. Yeah, you know, it's a, it's, it's a uh, two hours of, uh, of a lot of fun and excitement, and it's pretty intense, and um, our assistant, uh, uh, since the principal, it's a former Marine, so he's into all that kind of stuff, and he, he, he ran away with it. <laughs> um, he, he won by a lot, but, uh, you know, it, you get people from all facets for sure. Uh, it's just something you can do that's fun, and moms like it, dads like it. Uh, we got a couple grandparents there. Um, our football coaches came, you know, so it was uh, it was a great little event for us. That's really cool. All right, so let's do it. So uh, let's head back to your high school days. Where did you personally go to high school? What sports did you play? What was your experience like as an athlete? Yeah, so I played at Southern Lehigh High School uh, in Center Valley, Pennsylvania. Um, played there for, for four years under Todd Miller, who's still there, a uh, former Red Sox player. Um, I think he's the winningest coach all time at Southern Lehigh now. He's done a great job, um, but had a great career there. We, we had some success uh, under him. I never got to win the big one, but certainly, uh, you know, had a great career there. And uh, a lot of us went on to play uh, in college, which was um, obviously the ultimate goal, as you know. Well, for sure. And then obviously you you enter into kind of a long career, maybe not in like thousands of years yet but certainly in a lot of different collegiate stops which has been pretty cool to look at so obviously the, the question is then like at what point did you know that coaching is what you wanted to do because at this point clearly you've dedicated your whole life to it essentially yeah so a uh, little background my my dad uh, is tim nyman he's the head coach at the sales university in pennsylvania he's been there for 34 or five years i believe i think he's I want to say 20th all time in division three and wins and um, one of the highest acting guys right now. So obviously I grew up in a grew up in a coaching environment and coaching field. Um, you know, my my summer vacations and, and time off was built being with him recruiting or at his field or camps or his games or whatever you want to call it. Uh, so it's kind of always been in my, in my blood. My uh, my grandfather was a was a big um 
youth and American Legion head coach uh, in Quakertown, Pennsylvania for a long time as well. So it's kind of been the, the generational gap. Um, and then my brother still is a Division II head coach in Pennsylvania at Clarion University. So we're all kind of in it. Um, and uh, it's been it's been a good a good run so far. Uh, I don't think I want to do anything else. I don't know what I would do <laughs> if there was something else to do. Um, but uh, if you know, for me, it's it's my passion, my career, my hobby, all all wrapped into one. I'm trying to imagine what like a family if y'all got together for Christmas or something or Thanksgiving is like with that many baseball people in it because when like for me I'm the only baseball coach in any of my network of of family or anything like that so it's like I don't even we don't even talk about baseball when we have get-togethers or anything like that because nobody else really relates to it right yeah it's uh there's some interesting conversations there's a lot of uh you know uh, crap talking back and forth at times um (laughs) You know, my dad came down and watched our Navy Blue game a couple of weeks ago. And, uh, you know, we challenged each other to who's going to steal more bases this year. And, you know, he's like, well, you know, I played double the games as you. I was like, I know, that's fine. We're still going to you know, steal more. It's fine. <laughs> so it's uh, but it's really fun. I mean, it's a lot of the conversation, but it keeps us connected. It keeps us together uh, all in different parts of the country. And, you know, it's something that we can obviously hang our hats on and kind of always relate to, which is nice. And you went to the college route first, right? And you had, I mean, I won't name them all off, but like you spent a considerable amount of time in college. And it's funny because um, like people have asked me before as as an adult now, you know, I've been coaching high school baseball mm-hmm. for, for a while now, but like, hey, would you ever coach college? And my answer is usually like, well, no, because you have to work so hard for so long for no money. And even then, like, who knows what the end result is? And you, you can just like move from place to place. And it, it just... It's a it can be a, a bit of a grind for people. And so as I'm looking at you, I'm like, dang, man, you you went to a lot of different colleges and had a lot of different experiences. Yeah, I've been very fortunate to um, be at the places I was and, and coach at every level of, of college baseball for the most part. Um, you know, starting my career at, at University of Pennsylvania in the Ivy League and then mm-hmm. moving to back with my dad, um, who I played for in college as well. And, you know, being his top guy for a couple of years and that was a great experience being with him. My brother was on our team. So having all three of us on the same team was just something that, you know, never is going to happen again. Um, so it was just one of those things that you kind of had to do. And, and I'm grateful I did it. And then uh, I had an opportunity to go to Florida Gulf Coast. Absolutely loved my time there. We had a very good squad that, you know, won our, uh, won our conference. And we were still ineligible for postseason at that point because they had just had gone from Division Two to Division One. But, um, you know, winning the conference was obviously the the – the goal for that season. And then it was only there for a year and, and Eric Backage called me at Maryland and um, ended up going back there. And it was a no brainer, you know, being closer to home, being with him, being in the ACC at the time. And just one of those things that kind of fell on my lap and had to, uh, had to take it. Couldn't, uh, couldn't not do that. <clears throat> and then went to Millersville university in Pennsylvania where, um, you know, if you follow them at all, they're a you know, top five, top 10 division two program every year. Excuse me. Um, Chaz McCormick from the Astros was our was our center fielder while we were there, and uh, you know, just an unbelievable place to work and, and family environment experience to be there with them, and then end up going to IMG for a couple of years, running their post grad college program there, uh, and it's just been uh, it, it's been very unique each place, and everybody asks which place is is do you like the best, and it's like I like them all. Um, they all have they're all unique in their own ways, and they're all different in their own ways, but. You know, I think for any any young coach out there, if you can start in the college, the college realm and, and work your way through it, um, 
I think you're better off for it because you learn a lot, a lot more from behind the scenes stuff of how to run just an organization or run a program or recruit or even fundraise at times. Um, you know, even though we were at some of the places I was, I was at, we still had to fundraise a lot internally between, you know, within our program. Um, nothing was just given to us, you know, so I think those experiences have put me in a really good position to do what I'm doing now here at Manti High School. Well, that's one of the things that always sticks out to me too, is like when you have guys who have, uh, been in the college ranks for a while they they have a much more uh, nuanced or much more um ex, you know i don't know just more experience in terms of, of what college is like and so a lot of times you know you know how it is you get you get high school kids who say they want to play in college and it's so you can kind of sit down and having all the experiences you've had your conversations with them have the ability to be a little bit more authentic than maybe mine or someone else who hadn't you know, coached in college because you've not only been at like one spot, right, but you've been at multiple spots. And then, of course, my brain also goes to, well, then he also probably has a much better understanding of recruiting and how recruiting works and being able to have like really good conversations with kids to genuinely try to help them and find them a place that um, not only that they would enjoy and everything, but like that would actually be a value to them, right? Like what questions they should ask and things like that. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think the the one huge advantage, and, and again, I've been fortunate to coach at Division One, Division Two, and Division Three um, levels is, okay, if I look at you right now, would I recruit you at this mm. school or would I recruit you at that school? And kind of be able to help push them in a, in a direction that is more suitable for them. And, and look, everybody wants to play at the highest place possible. And we all know sure. that, you know, but at the end of the day, it's finding the, the fit that's right for them. And, and you can't evaluate by division. Um, you know, and I was a division three player that had division one opportunities, but just wasn't what I was looking for either school wise or socially or financially, whatever it could have been. Um, you know, and I had a great career and I had a chance to play pro ball for a little bit uh, independently and, you know, I think for me, it was what I needed um, and helping those kids try to find out what they need at the end of the day is, is, is always hard. As you know, and you're in the same thing right now, it's pushing them to those, the right places. Um, you know, but then obviously on, on the back end too, is you're, you're right, you know, being able to say, okay, hey, if this guy calls you, here's the questions he's going to ask. Um, and here's the questions that I would ask. And, and we do some mock interviews and, and that sort of thing here where, you know, I'll call them on the phone and pretend I'm, you know, whoever from wherever and, and start <laughs> trying to, to pick their brain and let them have that conversation back. Um, and I think that's helped our guys a lot, too. We've been we've been lucky. We've only had three players go play in the last two years. Um, and some of that has just been expectations of the program before I got here and, and sort of things like that. But um, moving forward, I think we're going to have an ability to place a lot of guys. Uh, our senior class is very good this year. My freshman class is really, really good. Uh, and they're already starting to talk about the future in, in baseball. So, you know, I think being have, having those um, that advocate behind you that can help is huge. Uh, my pitching coach as well, he was a, an 18-year Division One pitching coach, um, you know, just moved here. I just hired him this year. And, you know, having both of us being able to just open doors for people and, again, be that advocate is what they uh, what they need. Well, and then let's kind of turn to that. So you're, you're entering year three at Minnetee High School. So let's kind of backtrack. And what ultimately led you there? Like, I know you ended up in Florida, but what led you to this particular mm -hmm. job, becoming the head baseball coach at Manatee? Yeah, you know, Manatee is an unbelievable place. Um, it's kind of like what I'm used to being up, you know, from the Mid-Atlantic, from the north. Uh, it's a 
school in the middle of a town. It is rich in history. We have, I think, six state championships, one national championship here in baseball. Um, you know, it was a long time ago, but we're trying to get back to that. <laughs> but I think it's just the, the support that the school and the community have for their athletic department. It's very similar to being in a college athletic department. Here. Uh, our athletic director, Matt Bowen, does a great job. Our principal is Sharon Scarborough. She's an unbelievable principal. Um, and both of them were, were former college athletes as well. So having them know what the expectation is at the next level and the discipline and the accountability and having them on your side is, has been huge. Um, they actually came in last year was their first year. So the regime that hired me is no longer here, but, um, the AD at the time, Daniela point was, was really good. She was from, um, Cortland, New York. And again, a college athlete that really supported um, high school athletics and trying to push them to the next level. So I think all those things kind of happened. Um, I'll be honest with you and everybody, I, I had no interest in coaching high school baseball. Um, <laughs> it kind of, I run, um, run an indoor facility here in Bradenton called Square Up Academy. I've uh, been here for, I think it's gone on six years now. And uh, it's just been one of those things that's really good. Um, you know, it just kind of fell in my lap when, when uh, Miss LaPointe called me and started talking to me. And I was just like, all right, let me, let's, let's go talk. <laughs> and uh, we had a conversation and had a call, conversation with a couple people in the community. And it was just like, you know what, this is a, a place that I got to, I got to try. And if I didn't try it when I did, I probably never would. And uh, I really, I'm really glad I am. And I have no plans on going anywhere at this point. So um, definitely very fortunate. When they convinced you or, or when you, I probably more when you convinced yourself to do it, um, it's like, okay, Nolan, <laughs> you're the head baseball coach now. Like what were your first, like first, I don't know, steps or first things you wanted to get done or do or people you wanted to talk to? Like what was your process like once it was like, okay, official, you're the coach. All right, cool. Now what? Yeah, it was, uh, it was pretty, pretty unique because they, uh, the, I guess, interim coach who was the JV coach uh, after the head coach had left um, was actually running their fall program here at my academy. So I got to see them and kind of watch them. And I think that had something to do with the decision was I could kind of see what was here. And, and knowing it might be a an uphill battle, I didn't have a ton of success before, uh, but there were some reasons for that, that, you know, good, bad, ugly doesn't matter. Um, but uh, trying to combat some of those those issues that were here and then come back in and like when you take over any program you know your first you know order of business is to rebrand uh, it's rebrand your style rebrand your your things you want done uh, we changed didn't change the logo but we just moved things around a little bit we uh, got all new brand new uniforms we got new clubhouse signage and field signage uh, and really spent a ton of money to hey, you know, let's spruce this up. Let's turn this around and, and start from day one. And uh, it was lucky. <clears throat> it was lucky. And we, and we got the support, like I said, that we had before. And, um, you know, my second order of business, obviously, was get those kids uh, to buy in with what's going on. And, um, you know, my staff, I brought in year one. Uh, Michael Suki is our associate head coach. He played at Florida Gulf Coast, played with the Pirates, played uh, overseas in Australia. He's very good. Uh, a younger guy who's you know late 20s, but very, very knowledgeable and great with the kids and a great teacher uh, of the hitting side of things. Um, so he does that for me. Um, had a guy named uh, Tony O'Donnell who played at Austin P. played seven years with the Reds. Uh, he was our pitching coach the last two years. Uh, he got a new job. Um, 
you know, outside of campus, obviously. So he's still around. But he's not our uh, our ultimate pitching guy right now. Like I said, when we hired our new guy, Anthony DeChico, who was at Vermont and Fordham and Army and North Alabama, uh, and he's very good at what he does on the, on the mound side of things. So, And then our catching coordinator is Travis Kenyon, who was the top catching guy in Vegas for the last 10 years. We hired him two years ago here. So it's been, able, it's been nice being able to get the guys I want on staff and the guys that can ultimately be here every day. Uh, Scott Alicio is our JV coach who was here before at the last regime. I kept him on. He does a great job. And then Thyrus Jones is also a uh, JV hitting guy who played at Salem in West Virginia. And, uh, you know, is from a, a Florida kid originally, so understands the, the landscape of what Florida baseball is all about. But, you know, getting those guys in and, and having them on board and, and understanding and seeing the vision, um, I think, is, is, is number one priority all the time. Um, you know, and if they see it, they can relay it to the kids and the kids see it and then they got to go execute it. You know, we can give them the vision all day long, but we need people on the bus that are going to drive them in the right direction and, and help promote and help uh, make those visions happen. So I'm hearing uh, establishing culture, right? We, we did the same thing when I took over. Yeah. I don't know what it is about baseball when you... I don't know if it's the same in other sports, but I know when there's regime changes, for lack of a better term, like there's something about changing the logo just a little bit that just, I don't know, kind of helps reset things. And it's like, hey, we're a little bit different than whatever was here before. Uh, so I'm, I'm hearing, you know, establishing culture, rebranding, uh, bringing in the, the, the right guys, the right staff that you need. Um, and then obviously, you know, setting those expectations and, and getting players to execute them. As you kind of look back now, we're, you know, entering year three. Is there anything back there in the offseason of year one after you were hired where you're like, huh, you know, maybe I could have done this differently or maybe I didn't know this one thing that I know now? Is there like anything you can point to in that regard? Um. So year one was a little interesting because I actually didn't get hired until I think it was November 1st or 15th or something. Like that. Yeah, that's late. Um, so it was late. The fall season was pretty much wrapping up. I think I saw our, those guys play one or two little midweek, you know, exhibition games sort of thing down here. And then uh, they were gone. <laughs> um, so yeah. I really didn't get much chance with them uh, that year one in the fall. So really it was from day one in the spring. Uh, and we, we came out strong. Um, and then, uh, it was actually unfortunate. My wife got COVID, uh, the first day of tryouts in the spring. So I got quarantined <laughs> with her. Uh, so I was watching tryouts, you know, via video and, and texts and everything like that. And having zoom calls each night with my staff and what are we going to do? So, you know, brand new coach, new, new head leader and not at tryouts for the first year. Nice job. <laughs> um, That's great. So it was uh, it was different, but we had a good idea uh, in the couple of weeks we did have of what we could do. And then, uh, again, I trust my staff tremendously and, and they did a really good job. Uh, we were also under a stadium uh, renovation at the time. So we actually the first two weeks of practice were on a 300 foot little, or, uh, softball field uh, and in cages. <laughs> that was it. So nice. you know, we throw down bases out on the grass and trying to get things done and take ground balls and fly balls the best we could and get our swings in. And, uh, so, you know, so we went into year one a little a little behind the eight ball a little with uh, with time on the field. But, you know, they did well. We had three seniors that bought in uh, tremendously and, and dove in head first and really got guys to follow them and uh, forever grateful for those three because you know if if we don't have those three that buy in it could have been a could have been a different situation yeah now you're entering year three and I remember when I kind of entered my third year at as a head coach in high school that's when I that's when I kind of felt like things were kind of a well-oiled machine at that point it's like I knew 
you know, it, 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 there's things you don't know about coaching from any, you know, everything. I mean, from when to order hats to turf, I, just all this nonsense. Right. So I felt personally like by year three, it was like, I, I've got this. Like now we can kind of focus on more of the fun stuff. Um, so you're in that position now. You're entering year three. You guys just kind of finished up a bunch of your fall stuff. You just had the the Navy and Red game that you talked about earlier. So as you're looking into this spring, what are some of the I don't know standards, the expectations? What are you goals? What are you try? What are you guys trying to get done on the field this year? Yeah, um, we are we are very deep uh, in the veteran staff. I think we have ten seniors and. I think it's six juniors right now. So we've got guys that have been here now for you know year three going in. A couple transfers came in this year from out of state that moved into the area, uh, which always help. Um, can't rely on them, obviously, but <clears throat> excuse me. Uh, those guys coming in will you know add some depth in some areas we didn't have. Um, you know, but our goal is to to go out every day and, and play the best we can and uh, win our district championship would be one, and then see how far we can go in the state playoffs and you know regionals and, and that kind of stuff. But you know, I think for our guys, it's continue to build. It's continue to take the steps forward that put the program back on the map like it was, um, you know, 30, 40 years ago uh, and even 20 years ago for that matter. But trying to get those guys to keep the community involved. Um, you know, we sell out home games, which is awesome. The community is, is so supportive and they come out and do a great job with that. Uh, we have a student section for baseball. We had 30 kids, 30, 40 kids last year, every home game just going crazy. It was like going to a basketball game. Um you know, so continuing to build the brand and build the culture uh, of not necessarily winning at the end of the day, because look, as you know, you're, you're you play with the hand you're dealt in high school. Mm-hmm. So you might not ever win to the point that some of the private schools may win or some other the, the bigger public schools may win. But if you do things the right way and, and you run the program the right way, people are going to come, people are going to support you. And you know, your ultimate goal is moving kids on to whatever their next step is. Hopefully it's college baseball. Maybe it's pro ball. If not, maybe it's just college or, you know, the work, the work world. Um, and the more we can continue to, to build our, our players and uh, on and off the field, I think that's, that's where the success lies. Well, I mean, the community part is huge too. I think I'm very jealous of the student section. I've, I've seen a few programs post stuff about things like that. It's, I think it's really cool because there's something, I don't know what it is uh, about baseball where a lot of times there's not a lot of student fans that go to the games outside of like, you know, direct friends or boyfriends or girlfriends mm-hmm. or, you know, family. Um, so it seems like student sections to me, I think it's the coolest thing. But um, the community part, too, I think is really neat. And one of the things that I saw kind of researching and, and just kind of came across looking at your guys' program Um in Florida, you guys have hurricanes, which is up here in Oregon, a bizarre thing to think about. And uh, I, I, have, I have family that lives down in Key West. And I just all the time, I just think, why do you guys live there? Like, it's just <laughs> all these hurricanes that come through. But from a from a high school baseball standpoint, like one of the really cool things that I saw you guys doing was kind of using the, the program to be um, helpers in the community after after events like that, after Hurricane Ian. Yeah, uh, I know a lot of our guys went out and helped just clean up their, you know, the streets they lived on or their neighborhoods. We went to uh, um, an elementary school, Mayak Elementary, which is actually on the other side of the county from us. But it was one of the areas that that Ian came through directly and, and really devastated the, the population out there. Um, so we went out on a Saturday and just played wiffle ball with some kids and some families and just to kind of keep their spirits and get them up and get them excited about something that wasn't worried about you know, where, where am I staying tonight or, you know, where am I getting my roof fixed or, you know, whatever it may have been for them at the time. Um, 
you know, so I'm really proud of our guys for, for offering to help and, and be a part of that for sure. But you're right. It's, uh, you know, uh, I'm from Pennsylvania originally and my wife's from down <laughs> here and every time there's a hurricane, I'm like, we're leaving, let's get out of here. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> yeah, right. Um, you know, it's, it's not as bad as it sounds, but it's not as bad as, uh, I think the rest of the, uh, the newscasters make it out to be at times, but, you know, there's certainly some things we lost our cages in Ian, um, and that's been a process trying to get them fixed. We just got approval actually last uh, last Monday, so they're going to start hopefully this week. Nice, uh, brand new cages for us. I mean, they they looked like uh, an erector set that got heated up and bent. I mean, it was <laughs> it was crazy, but you know, we we're lucky that that was it. You know, we had brand new fencing, brand new backstop and dugouts, and uh, nothing was hurt except the cage poles. So uh, could have been a lot worse for sure. Uh, very fortunate to only have what we had, but you know, again, our our kids did a great job, and I know some of them didn't have power for eight, ten days at a time. Um, you know, our, our booster club president didn't have power for almost two weeks, so uh, you know, it's just making sure that people are taken care of, and uh, the more we can take care of the people in the community, and take care, of, they'll take care of us on on the back end when it's needed. And um, you know, it's it's a very close family oriented mixture here, which again is one of the reasons I, I said yes to the job, you know, three years ago. And um, it's very special. It's a very special place. That's one of the cool things that I've, I've heard a, a handful of coaches talk about in the past where it's like this, this call to help and just to be, you know, good community members, whatever that might be for whatever community you're in and not an expectation that on the back end, the community returns the favor, but just the, the, the knowledge of knowing that they're going to be willing to be there on the back end because they're going to remember the goodwill and the good stuff that you did for them. So it's like, it's not why you're doing it, but it's this really cool um, secondary feature that comes along with it, which is like the community is going to support us if we're in a time of need or if we're having a big playoff game, they're, they're going to show up and show up because they know that our guys have been around helping them and being good like stewards of the community as well. No, absolutely. You hit it on the head and it's, you know, you don't go out looking for the return. That's not why you do it for sure. Um, but just like you said, you know, we, we hosted a district game last year for the first time. I think it was in 10 years and, you know, we sold out. I mean, it was an electric, crazy atmosphere. We ended up winning three to two, uh, one of the better high school games I've ever been a part of. Um, and it was just a crazy environment. People that I hadn't seen all year came out to support that. Um, you know, you walk down the street or you go to a football game and uh, people come up and just start talking about the program. Um, you know, those sort of things are, are the return you're looking for at the end. And, you know, and whether that would be, you know, a monetary fundraising uh, help or that would be, hey, one of my guys is looking for a part time job. He's got to work to help take care of his family. You know, maybe they hire them. Um, you know, we do a thing where I ask all our guys in the fall to um, get one twenty five dollar gift card. Uh, for the program. And that can be for, we use it for our ax throwing or our golf tournament uh, or whatever it may be. Um, and the only caveat is they have to go in and talk to somebody. They can't purchase it. They have to go talk to somebody and, you know, hopefully they'll, at the end of the day, give them a $25 gift card for whatever it may be, restaurant, exporting goods, you know, uh, pool place, whatever. Um, but, you know, if you go out and you have that conversation with somebody, one, you might get it. Two, you're going to probably create a fan that's going to come out later on and come to a game or, again, have more excitement for our community. So when we hang up scheduled posters in the town, um, you know, you can go back to that guy and say, hey, can I hang this, this poster up for, for our games this year? You know, nine million out of you know, 10 million times are going to say yes. And uh, but it's, it's, it's establishing that relationship. It's establishing that culture in the community, too. And it's not just on the field. 
And I think that's one thing our guys have really bought into and, and done a really good job of making this a, a hometown feel. And, you know, again, Manti's such a rich history here. I mean, I have kids now that are on their third generation of players to come through Manti High School. Uh, and that's that's unique. It's special. It's any word you want to use to describe that. Um, but there's a lot of pride in that. And there's a lot of pride in that community of, of what Manti athletics should be and once was and will be again. Well, that kind of brings up the part of your email, right? So you had your, you did the axe throwing thing, and then you just mentioned all these opportunities to go find $25 gift cards, obviously, without buying them. Um, mm-hmm. And so then on your email, like when you're in your signature, you've got athletic fundraising coordinator. And I wrote that down because I'm like, I got to ask, what <laughs> what does an athletic fundraising coordinator do? And as you're like talking, I'm like, ah, I'm starting to get a little bit of a <laughs> hint of it. Yeah, so um... – my degree was in sport management, but it was a uh-huh. concentration on development and marketing. Um, so I've always done really well on the fundraising side of things at every place I've been. And um, for me, uh, our idea asked us this year, we're trying to establish some things at the high school that we haven't had before. Every sport has their own, you know, fundraising account or whatever it may be. And then uh, a few sports like myself and football, uh, we have external uh, booster clubs as well that people in the community run. And that's where a lot of our things come through. Um, but then internally, you know, we're trying to figure out a way to raise money to support all sports. Um, so he had asked me to kind of spearhead this this operation and, and take control of it. And we created the Manti Athletic Alliance, which is, you know, we try to sell signage or we got a new scores table in the gym that's got the led rolling ads on it so we sell them or try to come up with uh, like a travel sponsor to help with buses or whatever it may be that teams need that they just can't get on their own um you know we've got every team doing the, the vertical raise or whatever you want to call it snap raise uh those things are great i think those are one of the best ideas to ever kind of come about the the high school college fundraising world um, just because you can get to people that aren't here. Um, you know, grandma in Montana can give you 25 bucks, um, where if they were here, you know, it would be different. So, you know, it's kind of just, it's helping those teams and those programs come up with some ideas or kind of, um, not out of the box ideas, so to speak, but just kind of things that, Hey, okay, we know you get, you know, you need new uniforms. They're three grand. All right. What are we going to do? All right, let's try this. If this doesn't work, let's try that. Um, and kind of just put it all on paper and, and get in the community and help that support. And we just, we launched that in August and we have, I think 10 or 12 um, businesses that really support everybody in athletics. And then, you know, like I said, football's got their own boosters. I have my own boosters and uh, those things are, you know, they're separate from the Alliance. So it's, it's been a good, a, a good meshing transition so far. And I think eventually it'll turn into something that's really special and be able to support athletics across the board. I don't know how many high schools are doing that, but it seems like a really natural idea because like you're talking about like some of the bigger, the programs that need more money, they've probably kind of figured it out already and they have their things that work. But I like part of me thinks of like at my school, um, like sort of the, some of the smaller programs that don't have a whole lot of players in them or, mm-hmm. but they still need stuff. They still need their facilities done. And so I just think of like, man, it's gotta be a lot harder for them to fundraise and man, you're right about vertebrae and, and things like that. And snap rays, because I, we, we still do the oranges and, and mm-hmm. fruit fundraiser every year. And we've kind of started phasing out of that a little bit because for one, we can go get grandma who's 3000 miles away to donate. And, and two, we don't want to deal with all that stuff 
uh, all the inventory and moving stuff and just um, it, it, that sort of thing has really changed the way fundraising goes. And then you think of like me on the other end, like I, there are a lot of things that teams sell or kids come knock on my door and, or my classroom asking me to buy for their team. I'm like, mm-hmm. I don't really want this. Can I just give you 10 bucks? Like, <laughs> right. so I think you're right. A lot of it is, is just the simplification of it and just finding ways to, to make that work. It doesn't necessarily need to be as advanced and amazing and as fun as ax throwing is, <laughs> even though that's a really yeah. good easy one. <laughs> And every place is different, right? I mean, we're we're in yeah. an area that is again very well supported and historically supported here. So for us to get in the community, it's it's maybe a little bit easier than places that are a new high school or um, you know more rural rural type places. Excuse me. Um, and every school is different. You know, I don't know what you know your your school may give you budget wise, um, but in Florida, there's not a ton of money that is no. distributed to each school. So you know, it's it's my goal and and majority of our program's goal to be self sufficient. You know, so when I go to our AD and I say, hey, I need help with this, he can do it. But if I turn around every you know every week and say, I need this, I need that, I need that, I need that, I'm not going to get anything, and he's not going to have any money left. Um, you know, so those, those things for me are, are really what kind of drives me with our program is I don't, I don't want to have to turn around and ask for money from our administration. Uh, you know, obviously our cages and stuff like that stuff happens, but when it, that happens, it's there. Um, and then across the board, you know, like you said, there's smaller sports, like, you know, like women's tennis, if they raise $2,000, that covers their program for two years because um, there's five of them, you know, but basketball and, and football and baseball and some of the bigger sports, our wrestling program does an unbelievable job as well, fundraising. Um, you know, those guys that can that can self-sustain their program, uh, it helps them grow um, and to make sure they have what they need without turning around and, and acting like you're going to just ask for money all the time. Yeah, I don't think the ADs like being asked for <laughs> for help all the time. I think yeah. I think most ADs would prefer you just run your program, figure it out, and then, like you said, when you really need some help, like come talk to me, and we'll figure it out together. And it's unfortunate, you know, that the the monetary amount of, of for high school athletics is, keeps dwindling down and keeps getting cut. And hey, look, as a business guy, I, I get it. You know, I mean, most coaches get it doesn't mean we agree with it and we get don't get frustrated with it but at the same time if, if we can do it on our own and um, at least that way we know hey x came in and y is going out and we don't have to worry about you know if i need a machine i know i gotta raise 3500 bucks or whatever it may be um, and that way it's at least easier to okay if i need it go find it and then need something else go find it rather than say oh crap i gotta have this huge budget and how am i gonna pay for everything and i don't know i think it, it's it's a double-edged sword right but you know, I think if you're on top of it and you can and your players help out with it, too, and they support it and they buy into it. You know, we do a, you know, like our vertical raise. We do different levels. I'm sure you do as well, where you, know, you raise five grand, you get shorts, you get 10 grand, you get polos, you get 15. And we just keep incrementing every five and, you know, they get a different reward for it. So it, it puts incentive on them to help out and push, too. Um, you know, and then, then they know, hey, if we sell three outfield fence banners we get a new jersey or whatever you know whatever it may be at that for that year but um i think kind of make it into a game with them and they get into it and they buy in and they get excited about it and then the community gets excited about it it's just a, it's a full circle event when you mentioned earlier about uh hanging out with your dad and talking baseball <laughs> and stuff like that you mentioned the uh 
the competition for stealing bases. And so I wanted to get into a few like baseball specific things. And for anyone listening, who's not a baseball coach. Sorry, but I think that's still value to have from it. But um, I, I, for the last few years, that's kind of been what I've been really trying to get deeper into and, and make sure we're better at is, is stealing bases. Cause I think it's a really, um, I don't know, low hanging fruit. I think it's a really easy way to help your program uh, score more runs, which is the ultimate goal. Right. So um <laughs> What when you and your dad are talking about like talking about stealing bases? What's that conversation like? In uh, how many bases is is a lot for you guys? <laughs> well, um, you know, I, I think both, both programs are a little different. Um, he's always had a lot of team speed overall. I think he's got a little bit more this year than he has in the past. They actually set this um, NCAA record for stolen bases. I believe it was in 1990 or something like that. 92. Uh, for the season. Um, you know, for us here in, in the stealing base thing, it's it's more of it's a, that West Coast, you know, high pressure offense, so to speak. Um, you know, so for us, it's try to take extra bases, try to steal bases. It's try to really put pressure and make other teams make plays. And, you know, as you know, in high school baseball, if you can put pressure on guys, odds of being successful and you getting on or them making a mistake is pretty high. Um, mm-hmm. And for me, it's we have a lot of team speed. We have five or six guys under seven uh, in the 60 right now. And we haven't had that before. You know, we stole 78 bases last year, which was, I believe, 40 more than the year before. And my goal this year is 100. And, uh, you know, and that's in 25 games. So it's a lot. We got we to work hard to get there. And, you know, he was I was joking with him because he's like, you got a lot of team speed. You're going to steal a lot of bases. Like, yeah, we're going to get 100. It's like, low wager we steal more than you and he started laughing he goes well you know i play 40 games plus playoffs i'm like yeah exactly we'll steal more than you <laughs> and uh you know he stole 10 or 12 this fall against my brother in their exhibition game so i know they can run and they got some stuff going on but it's a nice little wager and if we can kind of beat there and, and or be there and, and beat them that would be awesome you know continue to our style and, and our pressure offense uh you know high school is just different than college you don't have guys that are going to turn around and pop four or five six ten home runs you know, if we have one or two guys, great. Um, but if we can do things the right way and, and put that pressure on, uh, I think we're going to be really successful. So. Well, it's funny, too, because your, your dad has a, two unique advantages over you. One is obviously the number of games, but then, two, he gets to actually pick and choose yeah. which players he wants to recruit for it. So uh, good luck to you. I hope you win that <laughs> yeah. battle. No, it's uh, – <laughs> It's fun, and, and the area is fun. I know uh, I saw one of my good friends, Brett Andrzejewski, is going to be on your show uh, yeah. here in a, couple, uh, in a week or so. And, um, you know, he's done a great job. A guy who actually I coached against when he was at Purdue and I was at Maryland. And, uh, and then he came down here and he's done a good job turning uh, one program kind of around. It was uh, a Title I school, and now he's at one of the best schools uh, in the area. Um, and I mean that from population where everybody in the area is, that's moving to Florida is moving to his area area so he gets guys that fall on his lap that are awesome (laughs) and uh you know guys that we all wish we would have but he's done a really good job of developing the area and developing the kids he has and uh he's got two or three really good arms that it's going to be exciting to see what happens to them well you you mentioned the the idea of uh, pressure in I know from the opposite side of how frustrating that can be sometimes. I remember, um, I think it might have been my second or third year, we we ended up, we 
getting ready for playoffs. We get like in Oregon, you get like a week buffer. So you can go schedule some tune-up games or whatever. Mm-hmm. And we, we scheduled one against the, like the top five, a team or six, a school there, Crescent Valley. They ended mm-hmm. up winning the state title this last year. But remember that year we went and we go to their place, we play them. And uh, it was one of the most memorable games because they just like anytime a guy was on base, it was the most frustrating experience for our pitchers, for our players, because it's like, they're going to drag, but then they're going to steal. Then they're going to hit a single and then they're going to do like a hit and run. And then all of a sudden they're stealing third base. Then they're doing a delay and then they're first and third. And it was just like, it was just like, as a defense, our guys like never had a chance to like take a breath and like, feel like we're even close to having any semblance of control. And so from that, like when we first did that, I'm like, Oh my gosh, like this is a huge, like what an advantage that anyone can take for baseball. Like any baseball program can do that if they decide that's the, how they want to play baseball. And it gives you like this huge advantage where you don't need a, you don't need four guys like you said to hit ten home runs. If we get a couple, that'll be really fun, right? But we can manufacture in all these other ways, and we can put pressure on, and we can just make the other team really frustrated. And like you said, when you're talking about high school kids, like that's going to end up in a lot of a lot of mistakes that go our way, and we score a bunch of runs, and things go well for us. Yeah, and I, I think, uh, you know, teams that have that pressure, you spend a lot of time on the reverse side of that defending yes. that pressure. Um, so, you know, when they know that, okay, these situations, these things could happen, they're prepared for that. Where, like you said, you go into a situation where, you're, you know, you might be, and, and, and I'll, I'll spin it to a college situation. So when I was coming out of high school, you, know, you had South Carolina and Clemson that were two very, very different programs. South Carolina was the gorilla ball and try to sit back and hit home runs in South Carolina, or uh, Clemson was the six, eight runners that bunt steel and hit and ran all the time. And, you know, two very different programs, you know, and when when Clemson goes and plays South Carolina, you know, they have fits because they got bigger guys and aren't as athletic, but they offensively, you know, they put some numbers up, you know, so it's hard to combat those things if you're not prepared for them. And then, you know, you play Coastal Carolina or versus Clemson, and they're very similar. And those games are low-scoring games with a lot of pressure, but they play great defense. Uh, They're athletic. uh, They throw strikes, all the things that kind of go into winning cultures. But, you know, the more you can prepare your own guys because that's what you do, they're ready for those situations. What do you guys do with, like, mental training stuff? I know for a lot of baseball programs over the last few years, that's kind of become a big focus for them. <laughs> and you were coming from the college side, so I'm not sure what your, I don't know, experiences were with, like, the mental game or things like that. Like, are you having conversations with kids about it? Are you doing, like, classroom talks? What do yeah. you do in terms of, like, helping kids mentally? Yeah, so um, I was actually fortunate. Brian Kane was our mental oh, yeah. guy at Maryland uh, when nice. I was there. So, you know, know him really well and uh, does obviously an unbelievable job across the country with players. So a lot of the stuff we do stems from his stuff, uh, as well as heads up baseball with, you know, with Ken Revisa and everything that goes into that. But, yeah, we, we try to we try to have some type of conversation every day. Uh, in the fall and summer, it's a little bit harder. Um, so it might be more individual stuff about routines or just how to breathe and kind of get that release when bad things happen. But during the season, uh, we actually, during practice every day, the first half hour is a classroom session that we go over something, either mental game or it could be life skills or it could be review of 
you know, our, our previous game or it could be a scouting report, um, but we do something, you know, baseball school, so to speak. And our guys are funny because they're like, coach, it's the best class of the day. And I'm like, well, it's because you like it and you want to be here. <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> but, you know, those, those things I think have really helped our guys mentally take that next step. Um, and, you know, the, again, the, the previous regime and people were great baseball guys, um, but didn't do as much of that kind of thing behind the scenes and program oriented stuff. It was more just baseball on the field, which hey, is fine. There's nothing wrong with that. Um, but I think these kids that we have now, they really thrive from from doing the extra little things and having the classroom and having the individual conversations and being able to just kind of dig deep and bear down on what and who they are and what they are as players uh, and to ultimately have them, you know, more success. So uh, it's, it's been very good. Uh, you know, my staff and I, we, we all kind of take turns. I do the majority of it, obviously, but uh, Coach Suki will do, you know, some of the hitting talks or hitting video stuff. Uh, Coach DeChico sends stuff out all the time. Coach King sends stuff out all the time. So for us to be just present and relevant each day with them on something, I think has really helped accelerate their development. I think to this, as you're talking through that, I started thinking of like as a coach, what that, what the mental part is like as a coach. Because I'm thinking you, you'd mentioned earlier, you guys had a you know your first home playoff game district game in quite a long time, and you you, you ended up winning three to two post game, all that good stuff. So it made me immediately think of like I wonder, like each coach in a close game acts a certain way. Um, mm-hmm. and ideally, of course, I think I'd be like, Hey, if we're up three to two, if you look at me in the dugout, I'm the same as if we're up to 11 to one. I don't know that that's actually true in reality <laughs> though. But yeah. when I think about like in a close game and a three, two game. So if you think back to that game and you think, okay, if, if players are watching me or if there's a, 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 someone in the stands and all they're doing is watching Nolan Nyman, like what, what do they see you? What, what's your body language like? What are you doing during the game? Like, what is like work through that process about yourself? Yeah, I, I, I like you. I would like to say it's the same. <laughs> but, <laughs> yeah, um, but uh, yeah, I, I'm, I'm almost 100 percent sure it, it, at times it's not. Um, you know, it, it's one thing here with our guys and, and I'm very demanding about being focused and staying in the game. And, and I always tell them, look, at the end of the day, it, I don't care if we win or lose. I mean, I do more than anything, but I don't care if we win or lose. If, if we lose doing things the right way and we get beat, we get beat. It's fine. It's not a big deal. But when we get beat and it's self-inflicted and it's things that are 100% avoidable, that's when I get I get upset and, and hopefully try to make them understand and realize why those things happen. Um you know, so I, I get into it. I'm, I'm fiery. I'm, I'm a big competitor. Um, you know, I, I for me, I want to I want to win more than I like to or I hate losing type thing. But mm-hmm. for those kids, it's it's trying to teach them through things. And, you know, the dumb mistakes on the field that are avoidable. Yeah, I'll get fired up and they need to know that. But they also know that when they make a great player do something great, I'm the first one. They're going to give them a hug and, you know, tell them I love them and, you know, kind of cheer them on moving forward. So it's been uh, it's been a really good kind of combination of both, I think, for these kids. Um, coaches I've coached for in the past, you know, some get unbelievably fiery during games. Other guys are just, you know, they're Joe Torrey and sit on, sit on the bench with the fungo and sit there. Um, so it's, it's a matter of, you know, who do you want to be and, and what does your team kind of respond to as well? And I think that's, that's one thing that coaches now have a, a harder time doing. It's not 
the coaches we played for. It's not the coaches that are in the past that had their program and it was ABC and that's it. Uh, especially in high school, you have to be able to adapt to what you have and, and play your clientele to their, to their strengths and weaknesses. So I think as a coach now, we have to be able to get fiery, but also be even keel and know the players and know them well enough to be able to, you know, accentuate those, those emotions to those guys that need them at those times. Um, there's certainly guys that I know I can't yell at because they're going to just, you know, go crawl in a hole and sit there. And then there's guys that I know I need to yell at or they won't play hard uh, and anywhere in between. So the more we can understand our players and, and have those relationships that, you know, the cliche is, you know, the more that they know you care, the more they'll play, that kind of stuff. Like Those things are, they're true. They're very true. And I think if they know that you really care about them and you have their best interests at heart, you're going to be demanding, you're going to hold them accountable. You're going to have all those things that they're looking for then you're going to get the most out of them, you know, and, and if you don't, you, know, you got to find a way to do that. So. Yeah. We had a, we have a player right now. He's a senior and this past fall, he's spent a lot of time weekends going to different colleges who are interested in him and he would go, like, go to their practices, right. And even practice mm-hmm. with them or whatever. And he came back after one of them on Monday and he aids for me. So I was asking him during class, you know, how to go all that stuff. And he was saying that, uh, man, I, the, the coach yelled a lot at some <laughs> of the players. And so we had to have like a conversation and he's like, I don't know if I'd want to play for him. And I was like, well, so we had to kind of go into a conversation about like, well, did he yell like that at every player? He's like, well, no. I was like, all right. So we had to kind of get into that conversation that you're just having of like, there's, there's different buttons that coaches press depending on what player we have and how well we know them. And this particular kid is not a kid that would respond well to, you know, if people yelled at him. And so I just kind of talked through that process of like, you got to know who you are as a player and then it's a coach's job to learn who you are as a player and then understand what makes you tick and what makes you work. And it's a, it's a weird thing because from the outside, he's just going to this, you know, program watching and going, wow, this guy's such a yeller. It's like, well, maybe, but maybe it's just because certain players need that. No, absolutely. And I think you go to any program and, and I'm sure you do the same thing. You encourage guys to go watch practices and go watch other teams play because you understand and, and learn what that level of play is. Uh, in college, I would love it when high school coaches would call and say, I got a great guy for your program. He'll fit your program. Great. And I say, OK, where are you located? Have you ever seen this play? And they're like, well, no, but uh, <laughs> no, I know they'll fit your program. Well, how do you know if you've never yeah. been there? How do you know? And I think the, the, the ability to go visually see, and, you know, my eyes aren't going to lie. Uh, players' eyes aren't going to lie. And, and they're not going to lie to themselves. They're going to go watch, you know, whatever school it might be, Oregon or, you know, whatever, and be like, oh, well, I can't, I can't play there. You know, that, that guy's a lot bigger or stronger. Well, yeah, okay, that's what it's supposed to look like. Or, you know, it might be like, oh, well, hey, you know what? I can play there. Absolutely. Or it'll be like, ah, well, you know, what? I'm going to fight and, and try to find out. But I really like school. And, and if I don't make the team, then I'm fine. Um, or anywhere in between all those three. You know, and that's that's the advantage of seeing seeing what's out there. And, you know, we try to take field trips with our team if we can. Uh, you know, we take them over to SCF, which is State College of Florida, and watch their pro day. And, you know, the guys are like, oh, I'm just going to play Juco in Florida. Well, are you? Because <laughs> everybody, yeah, right? everybody, everybody east of the Mississippi <laughs> wants to play Juco in Florida, too. And, uh, you know, it gives them just a, a realization and a visual of what that looked like. I mean, they had a kid last year who took our guys over for, for scout day, transferred from South Carolina, who looked like Bo Jackson. 
he hit must have hit 10 or 12 balls out in BP, you know, ran a six, six. And I turned and I was like, anybody else do that right here? And you're like, no, we, we, we can't do that. I'm like, well, that's the guy that's playing ahead of you though. So yeah. if you want to play here, you got to beat that guy out. And I think real, you know, the, the realization happened at that point of, okay, Hey, we need to work harder or we need to get bigger or stronger or, Hey, we got to look somewhere else. Um, you know, I don't know how you, how you guys deal with it up there, but you know, in, in the placement setting, <clears throat> Florida is very saturated in the fact that there's only 40 schools here in the entire state. You know, you go an hour radius of my house in Pennsylvania, there's 200 schools. Um, <laughs> so the, the ability to go out and have options is a lot less for Florida players, especially high school players. Uh, and, you know, there's 150 high, or college spots a year, so to speak, you know, maybe 200 at most. And there's 1,500 high school seniors. So they're just numbers game doesn't work. And then, like I said, everybody east of the Mississippi also wants to play in Florida. And then yeah. you, add, you add kickback, you know, Division One portal kickbacks. You add other Juco players, you know, whatever it may be. And it's just <clears throat> the odds are against you. So we've been really working hard and trying to educate our players and, and our families that, hey, there's life outside of Florida for baseball and there's good baseball. Uh, we have two players at Essex Community College in Maryland right now who absolutely love it. We have one in East Georgia who absolutely loves it. Um, and, you know, those are kids that if they didn't leave the state, they probably wouldn't have had options. And now they're going to have options in junior college and after because they're continuing to develop and continuing to grow and they're doing really well. You know, so for us trying to just educate again to get them not out of Florida, that's not the goal, but to understand visually and, and realization of what, it is here compared to other places. And, um, you know, when you go to 200 schools in an hour radius or you go to 40 schools in an hour radius, it's a big difference, a lot more opportunity for you. Yeah. There's a definite, like when you, when you bring kids for the first time, if they've never gone and watched college baseball, a lot of the times they mm -hmm. think, you know, oh, you know, they think a certain thing about themselves and where they fit. Right. And so one of the most common comments I get is like just being blown away by the speed Right. Like not necessarily, I mean, if players are fast, sure. But like the, the speed of a ground ball that gets hit, the speed of the player fielding the ground ball and getting rid of the ground ball, the speed of his throw, um, how hard guys play catch. Like it's just, it, everything's on a completely different level. And it's really hard for kids to understand that if they don't go see it. And we're kind of in the similar boat up here in, in Oregon where there's not a lot. Um, it's funny if you look at like a division three map of the United States of baseball mm -hmm. programs, like you were talking about, it's like, it's the Northeast and they're everywhere. Yeah. And then you start trickling out and getting farther away. And it's like, wow, there it's a really dispersed, really large spacing. And so same thing. It's like, if you really want to play, you have to be willing to go to the program that's right for you. And there's a chance that that program is not in the state in which you live. And maybe that ends up being the greatest thing of your life. And then maybe it's not the best thing for you. And, mm -hmm. um, yeah, I think that's where you, again, going back to your past, your just your experience at the college level and obviously having family members who are there all the time. And then, of course, the network of people that you've met along the way, um, it, it gives you that filter of being able to be that person for them where it's like you can be like, hey, you know, Jim on your team, whoever you are, I, I can just tell you this is where you are right now. And you kind of come with that level of. Uh, authority, not in like a negative way, but just like you've been there, you've seen it, you know, and they can kind of trust you then. Whereas I'm not saying they wouldn't trust me, but on this different note, I haven't coached in college. So when I have that conversation with them, they might still need to go like see it for themselves to really be like, oh, I get it. No, it's, you're right. It's, it's a, <laughs> it's a different resume that they like 
you and I don't care about it. Like, I, you know, that's great. I did all that stuff. But to me, it is what it is. Um, but to people that look at it and say, hey, OK, hey, you know, I can I can trust that for whatever reason. Again, it, not that I agree with it, but I understand where it happens from. And, you know, those <laughs> it is hard because we want our kids to move on and, and we do everything for them to make that happen. And the, the opportunity that they may not take. I mean, I had a, a pitcher last year, a lefty, a lefty pitcher that unbelievable uh also played football i never really had him focus on baseball for until last year when football was over and had four or five offers all out of state and ended up not wanting to do it you know and just wanted to go to school and it's a guy that you know was 83 84 and focused on pitching like he should have for another year or two could have been a low 90s guy and you know may have been a draft pick type guy and he was that athletic and that special but you know, just never had the expectation of that could be my future. And I think that's where it starts earlier is, is setting those expectations for your players in your program to move them on uh, wherever that may be. And then understanding that, okay, Hey, and like you said, Hey, these are, these are the levels we see you at. These are the places that I think might fit, you know, and, and you go into the five fits of recruiting and all those fun things of, you know, academically and location and socially and baseball and financially, and you know, all those things that go into it. But if you can start that process early with them, I think the success of moving them on to wherever that might be, whether that's Oregon or, you know, Timbuktu Junior College in the middle of nowhere, it doesn't matter. Uh, but they're moving on and they're playing college baseball. And if, and if baseball helps them get a degree, that's a great thing. And if it doesn't, that's okay too. But if they can get there, I think that's that's ultimately our goal is to have them prepared for that next step. And then obviously I don't want to miss out on the last part, but in addition to this other stuff we've been talking about, I'm sure as people are listening, if they're baseball coaches, they've probably loved hearing the baseballs in the background. It makes me really <laughs> sad that we're in a closed period right now and we can't hit for another about three weeks <laughs> until after this conversation. But uh, for others listening, they might be like, what is that? It's, it's baseballs hitting and it's the best sound in the world. Um, you're, you're in Square Up Academy right now. Um, wh- how'd you get involved with that? What's that been like for you? It's been really good. Um, I was coaching a travel team back in, I guess it was 2016 through 18. And uh, one of my players' dads um, ended up uh, getting let, laid off at his job. And he was pretty high up in a, in a national company and was like, I'm, I'm done with this. I'm done. Uh, I'm done working for somebody else. And I want to open up this facility here in town. It was kind of a need that we had. And uh, he's like, you want to run it? So kind of kind of where it all transpired from. And like I said, we're going on, I believe it's year six now in here. We do really well. We have uh, Knights Nation Florida, which is the Louisiana Knights. Uh, we have their, their Florida rights operations, whatever you want to call it. So we have travel teams with them. We have Florida Select Softball, which is a huge national travel organization uh, out of here as well. We had the Florida Gulf Coast Collegiate League for baseball and softball. So we have two softball teams, one baseball team here. And then just your everyday camps, lessons, training, uh, all those sort of things that every academy has. Um, it's definitely unique in Florida rather than being in you know the Northeast or out where you are uh, that, you know, here it's, you can go outside every day of the year. I mean, it's, it's a cold front today. It's, it's 50. Um, you know, <laughs> it's a cold front and it's 50. So we can still go outside if we wanted to. But I think going back to the education piece of, you know, you know that you have to be inside and kids where you are want to develop and know they have to develop and get training and fundamentals. 
down here, it's, oh, why do I have to go inside where I can go outside? Well, okay, you can, you can slow things down. You can break things down. You can actually get individualized training to help you get better, whether that be in the weight room or the catching lab or just, you know, hitting, pitching, whatever it might be entailed. But, you know, those, that education piece was, was big on us the first couple of years of getting in the community again and saying, okay, these things are needed and this is why. And the guys that come in or girls that come in and take advantage of it, it's there. It's night and day. Um, and the guys that don't, it is what it is. You know, I'm not saying you have to, but it certainly is a, a great tool to you know put in your arsenal to, to get yourself better. Yeah, there was uh, for a long time. I mean, the the amount of like baseball players getting drafted out of like the Pacific Northwest up where we are, even way up in the in the Northeast. Mm-hmm. Um, was a lot lower, of course, than it was in all these states that were warm because the obvious thing was like, hey, in the winter, they can go outside, right? They can still do baseball. And then, you know, in the last 20 years, all these academies and indoor facilities and even like, you know, like privately owned, like privately in terms of like a, a parent building their own in the backyard, like yeah. it's it's completely kind of changed the landscape. And now there is no more like huge <laughs> it's not just the warm weather states anymore. It's everybody. And I think that's a really good thing for baseball. And I think that's a really good thing for kids. And what it's done on the flip side then is like you were just talking about, I think I, I agree with you wholeheartedly is that it's helped players understand that there's a level of like focus and I don't know, self-reflection that you get when you go inside that you don't have as much when you're outside. I don't know. I can't explain all the reasons why and everything like that, but I think there's just, it's just different when you go inside and it's, it feels like it's more about really trying to get better as a player. When you're outside, I feel like there's, I don't know what it is again, but I feel like it's just, it's harder to get to that point. And I don't necessarily know why, but I feel like (laughs) when you go inside, it forces you for whatever reason to really focus in try to get better at baseball. And again, I don't know why or how, but it just does. You're you're right. Um, I I think it's the individualized and I think it goes back to some discipline and accountability on, on yourself and your ability to take again, that accountability on your own game. Um, when you're in here with either by yourself or even with your dad or a hitting instructor or at a camp or whatever that may be, there's that, that focus of, okay, hey, look, I know I only got to be in here for a half hour. I don't need to be out here for two, three hours doing something. I'm going to work on one thing. I'm going to do really well at it and I'm going to get out. And if I don't do well at it, okay, I'm going to come back the next day. I'm not going to sit here and continue to do bad, 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 bad for an hour or two. I'm going to, okay, hey, you know what? It's not me today. I'm going to get out and move to the next thing. And I think you're starting to see, like you said, the, the gap of you know, Pacific Northwest or the Northeast or the Florida or, you know, California, Texas has shrunken up tremendously in those, the talent of players because of that. And they're starting to find out that, Hey, okay, there's a maturity in yourself mentally, you know, physically, athletically that you can continue to develop and build. And it doesn't have to be, I have to go to a team practice for two, three hours. Um, which, as you know, it's hard. It's hard to get individual time in, in our high school practices that are they're two, two and a half, three hours long, uh, especially when you have you know, JV and varsity there. It's, it's, it's hard sometimes to get everything done you want to get done. So the fact that they can go in on their own afterwards and, and get it, um, you know, and I relate it to kind of like the strength world where, OK, hey, all teams do strength training. Right. And whether whatever that program is. But, hey, if I if these are my programs and I'm not I feel like I didn't get enough shoulders today. All right. Well, go in on your own and finish your shoulders or I didn't get to finish my squats. Well, go in and finish your squats. You can do it on your own. And again, that that 
the personal maturity that helps you grow is, I think that growth to me has been more than the physical skill-wise growth, if that makes sense. It does. Uh, and I, I agree. I think it's just, like you said, man, when you get into team practices during high school season, it is really hard to make them truly individualized and feel like you personally got better, of course, but like enough better. Like you, you did enough to get better enough that you're supposed to get during that practice. Um, Nolan, appreciate you coming on here. I, you know, I wanted to give the mic to you one more time. I don't know if there's anything we missed, um, anything you thought we should have covered, anything that um, you want to say or, or anything you're proud of with Manatee. I don't know, whatever it is, and just give you one more chance with the mic. No, I, I really appreciate you having me on, and it's, it's been, a, been a pleasure, obviously. love just talking baseball and culture and programming. Uh, I think for any, any coaches out there, any sport, you know, take – Take ownership in your program. Um, don't let anybody kind of dictate what you do. And, and, you know, from fundraising to practice planning to hiring coaches, you know, take ownership of it and make sure everybody's on the, on the same page because the worst thing you can have at any level is, you know, guys that, that don't, don't see the vision, you know. So express your vision, have them buy into it, and, and continue to grow. I think if you do those things, you're going to be successful, whatever sport, whatever program that may be. And, um, you're always here to help people need it. Always here to, to talk, you know, program growth and how to rebrand and, and develop. And, uh, you know, I think the more people that I get on, on this bus and, and, you know, listen to this podcast and, and really kind of buy into, again, taking their own ownership of their programs, they're the ones that are going to be successful in the future for sure. So thank you again. I know you didn't uh, reach out to me asking to be on the podcast and I appreciate you. I think you DM me. I can't remember what it was about. And I, uh, baseball coach in Florida. So I, I immediately told you, Hey man, you got to come on the show. We got to make this happen. And I, I so appreciate you being willing to do it. I know for some people it's out of their comfort zone and say, I don't know if I need to be on a podcast. I just can't thank you enough. I, I asked you and you were immediately like, sure, man, let's do it. And so I <laughs> uh, appreciate you being willing to do it. I think I got a lot of value out of this. So I, I'm sure other people did. So Noel Nyman, thank you. Appreciate you and, and good luck this upcoming spring at Manatee. Thank you. Absolutely. And you know, anybody out there just, uh, you know, enjoy it, enjoy the process for sure. For us baseball and softball coaches, the background sounds of kids hitting, audio perfection, adding all the awesomeness that Nolan shared, and I think all of us are walking away from this episode feeling absolutely ready for whatever comes next. If you aren't signed up for the weekly newsletter or if you haven't picked up some High School Coaches Club stickers, you should definitely do so. Head on over to highschoolcoachesclub.com to get started. Don't forget to leave a rating or a review if you're listening to Apple Podcasts and hit that subscribe button wherever you're tuning in. Most importantly, if you found any value at all from this episode or any previous episode, share it. Social media, email, word of mouth, doesn't matter. Just find a way to bring a few more listeners in who might benefit. That's how we all get better, and that's how we grow the club. Huge fist bump to Coach Nightman for jumping on the call with me. Thanks again to Netting Pros for sponsoring the episode and to you for clicking that play button. If you have any recommendations for people who should be guests on the show, be sure to reach out to me, even if that recommendation is you. Follow the club on social media, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, at HS Coaches Club. You can follow me on Twitter at Mr. Max Price and can reach me via email, max at highschoolcoachesclub.com. All right, that's it. That's all I got. You're awesome. You matter. Thanks for all you do. And as Coach Lee would say, loving you. <laughs>